you for downloading our podcast or watching our sermon series. It is very important that we know the God we worship. It is also imperative that we discern how God defines himself in his word. If we do not take the time to know our God, we will never know ourselves. We might think we can never know God. When we really think about God, we can see some apparent tension. How can we say, for instance, that God is simple on the one hand, but also incomprehensible? How can we say that God is separate, but also personal at the same time? These are just some of the instances. Please join us as we seek to answer these questions and many more, and remind ourselves that we are the creatures, and He is the great Creator King. Well, as we continue with the doctrine of God and think about the implications of God being everywhere present and being infinite, uh, we can understand that the Lord is one who is beyond us, a God who is certainly above us, a God who is above creation. We think about what we have heard with God so far. We know that God does not change. Uh, We saw this last time that he is one who is consistent, a God who does not need to change to be something other than what he is. Uh, He is a God who is complete in and of himself. And so when we talk about God being infinite and being beyond space and time, continuing on with what the Belgic Confession teaches us, as we know that God is consistent and God is beyond this creation, uh, we might wonder why we would want to be joined to or united or even pursue such a God, that he knows everything about us. It would seem to be rather intimidating. Uh, If he is everywhere, there's no place we would be able to hide from him. Uh, If he is a God who dwells within us, he knows everything about us. And so why would we want to serve a God who is everywhere at once and a God who knows everything about us? And this is where I thought Psalm 139 was an important psalm as it really addresses this reality. And so as we look at this, we'll just simply show that we are finite, meaning we're bound to space and time, and God is infinite. He's everywhere present. So when we talk about us being finite, this means that we are bound uh, to a particular space. Uh, We're affirming that God is a creator who is beyond us, who gives life and breath to everything. And so we think of Genesis 6, verse 17, where God is going to remove breath from all creatures on this earth. And so again, it's the Lord who gives a breath, and the Lord is the one who takes away uh, that very breath. When we go on, we think about what Job says in Job 12, verse 10. And Job, he said that his hand is the life of every living thing. He gives breath to all mankind. Uh, Job 34, 14, and 15, we have the reality that the Lord is the one that if he gathers his spirit from man, man is going to uh, perish and would not have the breath of life. Think of Ecclesiastes uh, 3, verse 19. All have the same breath. There's really no advantage of man over beast. So the point of of these statements is to make clear that as God is everywhere present and all-powerful, and as God is infinite, as all these things um, fit together under God being infinite, 
we might hear this and say, well, what does this mean? It almost sounds pantheistic. And what that means is that God is in the creation in such a way that as we encounter the creation, we encounter God. And so our desire is to be united with the one, mysterious one. But as you get to know and, and become in tune with him, uh, you get to know him. Now, this is picking up something about what wisdom literature is saying, but it's not really understanding who God is. Because in a true pantheistic system, God is basically confined to the creation, right? And so as we uh, become one with the creation, we become one with the Lord. Well, in Christianity, we certainly want to say that God gives a breath in life to everything. I mean, that's what you find in Ecclesiastes and Job. But what we also want to say is that God is beyond this creation. And so God is present with this creation. He is the great I am. He is the, <clears throat> the one who lives in the here and now. The God who is before time, after time, outside of time, and working within time. All at the same time. Now if you can wrap your minds around that, you are an exceptional creature uh, because it is very hard for us to comprehend how God can really do that. But that's what is very important to understand in Christianity. Certainly we can say God works in the context of creation, his providential care. He watches over creation and gives a breath of life to all of the creatures in this creation. However, we also want to say that God is distinct from this creation. And so when we talk about God being infinite, uh, we understand where we are in light of this. So one thing we, we already covered is we can't comprehend who God is, can we? We can't fully understand how God can work in creation, how he can work out each millisecond of time and guide this creation to its goal, also be before creation, know exactly what's going to happen at the end of, uh, of this world history while being outside of it and operating right now in the here and now. So that's humbling. It, it reminds us that we are very limited in our own understanding. But something else about being finite, uh, when we think about the, the reality of this, is that as creatures, we're limited. Right? So I can only stand here behind the pulpit. I can't be behind in the back of church at the same time. I, I can be here and I can be in the back of church, but I can't do that at the same time. You can literally see me move and walk to the back of church. Right? I may have stood in the back of church at some point in my life, and I may have stood up here, but I can't be in both places at once. God's everywhere present at once. As finite creatures, we are limited to the here and now. We are also creatures where we may have a consciousness of moving into eternity and knowing that we're going to go into eternity, but we also know we have to progress to that, right? So I can think back to my childhood, I can think to now, but I, I can't go and live my childhood as I live it now. There, there's been a progression uh, of my life and of my age as we think of ourselves. And so as finite creatures, even as we're moving to an eternal goal, uh, we are those who still have to take each step of the way, each step in each day, as we live out history. We think even of the saints under the altar in Revelation 6, verse 10. Uh, when John sees the saints under the altar in heaven, 
the saints say, How long, O Lord? Here they're beginning to taste the bliss of heaven, but not the fullness of it, right? Because when they're saying, How long, O Lord? They're basically saying, We need you to execute your judgment. We want our bodies. And so there's a, a conscious progression that they're not in the fullness of what they want. And they understand that in this progression, the, the Lord has to bring about the ultimate consummation, the ultimate judgment, the ultimate new heavens and new earth that still aren't there. So even in eternity as creatures, we're still going to have this consciousness of, of progressing forward in a progression of some sort. Now, when we talk about God, we also want to say in, in who God is, because it's easy for us as creatures to say, well, an easy way for anyone to understand this is God just creates the creation. He's outside of the creation. He leaves us to meander and live out our history, holds us accountable at the end of the age, and, and there we go. Well, that would be the deistic view. But that's not what we want to say. We don't see God as merely winding up the clock. Uh, that even in our day-to-day -day lives, we see God working out his plan. And so when we look at this psalm and we think about ourselves as creatures in Psalm 139, when we look at verses 7 through 12, there's a couple of things that David asks the Lord. Where he says, where shall I go from your spirit? So right here, and we just talk about man being finite, right? Limited to space and time. We, we cannot stand outside of time. We can never get outside of a, a mindset of some sort of a progression. That's who we are as creatures. <clears throat> so we're, when he says, where shall I go? This communicates a movement. I, I can move from behind the pulpit to maybe a hiding place somewhere. And then maybe the Lord won't be able to find me, right? That's the, the question he, he's raising here. And so he's raising this question, where shall I go as a man, an individual, a creature, who can hide from you? Now he talks about the different movements he can make. So he talks about hiding from the spirit, fleeing from your presence. So the mindset is there's a place where he can go and move where the Lord won't be. So he's raising this sort of as a, as a point of meditation. Where can I go from God? Is there a place I can hide from the great God of heaven? So he says, well, maybe I can climb up to heaven. Well, if he tries to ascend into heaven, so again, he's on the earth and moving from this earth to heaven, not being both places at the same time. But he says the Lord's there. He raises then the other extreme. If I make my bed in Sheol, we've talked about Sheol in the Hebrew mindset, this would be a mindset of below the ocean, the mystery of the sea, beneath um, what you can see and perceive. It's a place of the dead, the place where uh, sometimes we can find maybe in, in some of the writings of the rabbis at this place where maybe God's not or, or whatever. It's sort of this debated, mysterious point. But David here is raising this point that if I make my bed in Sheol, in other words, I lay down in the realm of the dead, maybe I can go there and hide from you. But the, he's saying, but even the Lord is down into that very place, and David can't hide from him. And so that's the reality of this. Now the sky and the sea, where he talks about uh, the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, this is basically repeating the same point. So the sky, or the wings of the, 
uh, of the morning would basically kind of be just underneath the firmament or just underneath the sky. So he's talking about first going into the basically the highest heavens and descending into the depths of the earth. Now he's sort of taking it down a little bit and talking about basically where the sun makes its path in front of the sky, right? So there's the canopy over us as we find in, in Genesis, the firmament that's fixed by the hand of God. And so David's saying, maybe I, I can go and I can be where, where the sun and the stars dwell, maybe there. Uh, maybe he can dwell, maybe not into the very depths of the sea, but, but just sort of in the sea and in, in a deeper, deeper part. And, and maybe God won't be there. But he says here, even there you are. So he can't hide from the Lord. When he speaks of darkness and light, again, this is making reference to the creation account in verses 11 and 12. So the darkness and night would be uh, just basically in the light of day, the darkness of night, a mindset that maybe if you're concealed in the darkness of night, God won't be there, won't be able to, to find him. But even there, the, the Lord can find him. That the, the, the darkness is as light to you. So in other words, God is so sovereign, so majestic, that even David, as he moves and tries to hide in the darkness, the Lord knows him. The Lord is the one where we find in verse 12 the ultimate humble point, that it is God who has formed man, not the other way around. It is God who has made us to be confined to space and time. So when we, we look at this and we think about this in, in terms of man being finite, it sounds rather frightening, right? I mean, we're... Uh, being watched, you know, Job almost presents God as sort of a stalker, right? The, the, the one who just eerily kind of watches him. And maybe sometimes we can think of God along those lines. But the psalm doesn't want us to think of God as some sort of a creepy stalker. I mean, that would be a, a very horrible view of God that, that's not consistent with who he is. He's righteous, he's pure, he's holy. And so we don't want to go to that place, even though Job himself explores that reality with God's infinite majesty that, you know, there's no place you can hide. God's just going to get you anyway, is sort of Job's mindset when you read his writings. And of course, Job repents of that and puts his hand over his mouth. But then what about God being infinite then? And so when we talk about our identity where we're bound to space and time, right? I can only be here. I can't be here in the back of church. I can't be here sitting in a pew. I can't be here and at home at the same time. I, I can only be present in one place. I have to literally move uh, to go from here to my house, right? All of us have that, that scenario, that reality. The difference with God is he's not confined in this way. And that's the point of, of what David's making. God is holy here. He's holy at my house. He's holy around the world. He's holy in heaven in the presence of the angels. He's holy everywhere. He knows the beginning of time. He knows the end of time. He's there everywhere at once. We think about God being uh, infinite and being everywhere present of giving life and breath to all creatures. And, and think about that. You know, and again, if you ever want to really meditate on this, read 
the Lord's speeches to Job in Job 38 through 40, where the Lord goes through all the details of this creation that he maintains, all the things that he has to take care of. And again, this isn't even an exhaustive list. But to hear that and read all the things that the Lord does is overwhelming. And to think that he numbers the the days of every beast of this earth, not not just his people, not, not just human beings, but but every single beast, in terms of his infinity and where he is everywhere present, he knows exactly what's going on right here and around the world. He knows what's going on in heaven. He knows what's going on in hell. He knows the schemes of Satan. All these things at the same time. You know, I always still chuckle at Daniel asking the Lord to open his eyes as to his plan and what the Lord intends to do. And then the Lord basically lifts the veil and and all of a sudden Daniel gets to see all the satanic activity going on behind the scenes and the angels in their battle. And then you you just imagine Daniel saying, careful what you ask for, right? I mean, that's almost what, what you take from that. Like maybe there is some truth to ignorance being bliss. And that's what this psalm is sort of exploring, isn't it? What, what does it mean that God is everywhere present at once? What, what does it mean that where the Lord is in one place, he's everywhere and we can't hide from him? Job presents this as a little creepy. David is saying this is something we really should celebrate. And we think, why? And that's where it's important to put this psalm in the context of the Psalter. Because when you put this in the context of the Psalter, this is in the fifth uh, book of Psalms. And if we properly understand how the book of Psalms are arranged, the fifth book of Psalms is after the fourth book of Psalms. And the fourth book is dealing with the issue of, well, Solomon's apostatized. Where's our king? What do we do? Uh, We want a Davidic king on the throne. Our Davidic king has wandered and is not pursuing the ways of God? What's the meaning of life? Where is our king? And it comes to the resolution and the celebration that God is a king. Book five is a celebration of God's kingship and who we are as mere creatures. And so we think of it as, as celebrating the reality God is beyond us. He is infinite. He is all-powerful. He is everywhere present. He peers into us, knows our inner recesses, and knows everything that's going on at once. And and yet we celebrate this reality, even though when we think of coming into the presence of such a holy God as being absolutely frightening. But book five is a celebration of saying, no, we want to be tuned in to the purpose of God and live out of gratitude and give praise to such a God. And so notice then the, the structure of this psalm and how it lays out this celebration of God being everywhere present knowing everything and peering into us. So verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. So right here it is the Lord has already searched David. And so the Lord knows who David is. He knows who we are, right? And this is where I say it's always important when you start thinking about the Christian life, you start reading the scriptures and you start taking that time of really thinking about who we are in Christ, wrestling with her lives, wrestling with what needs to be brought in line with Christ, we're never going to bring something to God he does not already know. Our temptation is to try and hide. 
Psalm 139 saying you're not going to hide. God already knows it. He searched your heart. He knows you. The very fact that you desire to bow your knee to Christ is testimony and proof that his spirit is present within you. So Psalm 139, verse 1, celebrating that reality. You've searched me. You've known me. You know who I am as a mere mortal. You've created me. You've formed me. You know who I am as a mere mortal. But notice then in verse 23, because verse 1, we could take that as sort of this pessimistic concession, right? Okay, fine. You know who I am, right? We may not take that necessarily as a celebration, even though I do read that as a celebration. But we may not take it that way. You skip down to verse 23, which sort of holds this psalm together. And verse 24, again, is uh, the continuation of the prayer. But verse 23 is where you see the prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. So right here, it's the beginning and end. It's you have searched me. Now David's saying, search me. Convict me. Work within me. Take the, the things that are contrary to your wisdom and contrary to how I ought to be living and convict me of it. Show it. Break my heart of these things. And so that's where I say we need to take verse 1 as a celebration. It is not David making a concession of, fine, you know who I am. You're kind of a creepy stalker watching me all day long. That's not at all how, how we should take this. It's your gracious God. In your steadfast mercy and love, you, you care for me, you love me, you, you search my heart. You know what you're working with. And so now, Lord, break me of the things that are contrary to your will. That's a prayer of verse 23. And so when we celebrate the Lord working out his plan and the Lord knowing our thoughts and desires, it's truly coming to grips with who he is as an infinite God. And understanding there's no place we're going to hide from him. There's no thought we're going to hide from him. There's no desire that we have we're going to hide from him. And so the reality is this isn't for us to be terrified to bring these things before his throne of grace. But to bring them before his throne of grace. And to trust that in Christ there is life. So when we turn to these verses and we look more specifically, <clears throat> at verses 7 through 12. And we think now about the hiding from God. So we considered it in terms of our movement from earth to heaven, from the perspective of man and the movement. Now we look at it from the perspective of God and the celebration what David brings out. Verse 7, where am I going to go from your spirit? Right? And so David is celebrating the reality that God, as he is spirit, as we've talked about him being simple and God being spiritual, he's everywhere present. And so as he's everywhere present, we can't hide from him. Now, when we think about God being a shield and defender, isn't this encouraging? It's not that God's just trying to beat us down and destroy us. That's not how we should be seeing this. Job takes it that way in the beginning of his speeches. But Psalm 139 is a celebration as the Lord is searching us. And the Lord is there who's everywhere present. We understand we can't escape his realm. This is where it's important in that parallel line. Where shall I flee from your presence? And so David's pointing out the reality of what we want to do. 
We want to do the Adam and Eve thing, right? We, we want to hide from God. We're, we're scared of coming into his presence and his light shining on us. And David's saying the reality is we're not going to be able to flee from you. You know us, you see us, and you see us for who we are. Going on then, we think in verse 8 how this underscores this with the extremes of the universe. Where when he says ascend into heaven, as I mentioned, the contrast of heaven being above the firmament, the highest heavens, the full glory, uh, and then below the firmament, or we think about below the sky or the canopy uh, as Genesis presents it. And so this presentation of him going up into heaven, he can't hide from God and his glory. Going down into the depths of the earth, God in his full glory is there in that dark, uh, treacherous place. A place of death, a place of the unknown, right? I mean, that's kind of what Sheol is, this mysterious place. We don't really know what goes on there. We just know that if we make our bed down there, we, we can't hide from God. His protection is there. Uh, taking up then the wings of the morning, again, the taking up basically the flight of the sun or, or thinking about the, the wind of the day or, or however you want to put it. Basically, the morning time, living in the context of this creation and basically bumping up against the canopy, if you will. If we go up there, not going to be able to hide from God. God is there. He's in this creation. Going down, God is there. He's in this creation. So verses 11 and 12 then is giving us the, the absolute affirmation that there is no place we can hide. We think about some other traditions that get really engaged in spiritual warfare. And again, I don't minimize the reality in that there's spiritual warfare. Maybe as Reformed people, we do minimize that a little bit. I don't know. Uh, we get accused of that. I don't know if that's necessarily true. But the reality is, when, when people get so consumed by spiritual warfare and so concerned, this is where verses 11 and 12 are, are so helpful. That basically the darkness would be like the, the dark forces that try to come against God, the, the powers that try and destroy him, the, the mysterious place of wandering in sin, if you will. However you want to say darkness, it's basically anything that's antithetical to God, that, that goes against what is good and righteous and holy. David is celebrating reality even in the midst of that, when we feel like we're surrounded by that, we can't hide from God. Because even that darkness, he brings light to it. There, there is no power that's going to overcome him or, or, or overwhelm him where he goes, oh my goodness, I never anticipated this. That's what David's celebrating in God being infinite, everywhere present. That as God is everywhere present, there is nothing that can overpower him, overwhelm him, snatch us from his hand. And so when we look at this, creation, it means, yes, the Lord is everywhere. It's a celebration of that. He's outside this creation. He's in this creation as a Belgic confession is teaching us. But now as we walk through this psalm a little bit more, and we look at verses 13 through 18, and we think about who the Lord is, how he forms us, how he molds us, how he shapes us. This is a very personal interaction of God. It's not just a, a general thing where God has mass-produced humanity, right? I mean, we can think that we, we can sort of be practical deists, if you will, where God has wound up the creation and let it go. And, and sometimes 
Uh, we can sort of in our own minds just think that there are certain things God has set in place and he just kind of lets it go. But verse 13 communicates a very intimate connection of God being everywhere present, being outside of time and working in time. That he's orchestrated it so we live in a particular time, born on a particular day, are manufactured or assembled in a certain way, Basically, that he, he's a great engineer who has put us together. And so this is something else where, where we look at this and we're tempted to hide from God. Is David pointing out the absurdity of that? Why, why would you hide from your maker? Why, why would you hide from the one who has personally knitted you together and, and manufactured you? And so when, when he celebrates that the Lord has made him and, and put him together, here you have this wonderful celebration that, that God is the one who has made us, who has formed us, who has put us together. And so you, you get that force, you understand the reality of this. That here when we look at and how the Lord has just made everything come together in a very personal way, as he stands outside of time and works in time, this is the reality of it. But as we go on, and we think about David then, as we know that the Lord has searched him. We move on then in verse 23, where he has this request to search me. And he says, know my heart, know my thoughts. Now again, this is that Hebrew word that's so, so important, Gadah, which we talked about in Hosea, used throughout the prophet. But the knowing of the Lord is not just knowing that God is infinite, right? We can Summarize that doctrine, say God's outside of time, he works in time, uh, God is before time, end of time, here and now in the fullness of who he is, in the fullness of heaven, and, and he, it's something beyond our comprehension. He is infinite. We are bound to space and time, he is outside of it. And when he says, search me, O Lord, that I may, <clears throat> search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Well, think about this. Yada. As we're called to know the Lord, we're called to know who he is truly. Then it's not just about him, but know him exhaustively. But now in verse 23, we, we've moved beyond the Lord knitting David together. We've moved beyond David speculating where he can go to hide from the Lord and celebrating that he can't hide from the Lord. Now in verse 23, he's inviting the Lord to know him, to, to really know what's going on within David. And he invites him to truly know his thoughts. Now you, you think about that declaration, know, know my thoughts. He's, you know, he's saying truly know what's going on deep within me. You know, but before it, it's acted out. Know what's going on. And as he's asking the Lord to do this, think about what David has said in the context of this. That as he wants the Lord to lead him and to bring him to everlasting life, what is he celebrating? Well, if we go back up, we know that the Lord is precious to him, verse 17. We have verse 18 of where you have David talking about his, his thoughts and, and who he is and who God is. Then in verse 19 through 22, you have this strange change in the psalm. 
verses 19 through 22 is where David is aligning himself basically with uh, the heavenly council. You can think of Psalm 138.2 where David talks about the Elohims and the false Elohims. Psalm 82, you think about God taking his stand in the midst of the Elohims, uh, the false rulers, the rulers that are in rebellion against God. And the Lord calling them to account, right? So you have God being the supreme Elohim. You have scripture using Elohim's lowercase as little rulers. So here David is talking about those little rulers under the authority of God that are not seeking to be in line with the Lord. David is aligning himself with basically the the angels of heaven saying, Lord, carry out your will. Lord, bring your judgment, right? The saints under the altar in Revelation 6. How long until you judge those who, who martyr us, right? So it's, it's something where, as Christians, we, we can get behind this. You know, we can say, hey, you know, bring judgment. Bring the, the consummation and glory. And so here's something where we can understand, yes, we, we certainly can celebrate this. This is part of the Christian walk. But then notice how David ends the psalm. Because the temptation is to say, well, I'm righteous because I don't like those other people. And then David's like, oh, but then again, there's me. I, too, am prone to wander. And so, oh, Lord, before I get too high on my horse, why don't you search me? Why don't you try me? In fact, when you look throughout the psalm, you notice how Yadah is used throughout the psalm. Verse 1, you have known me. Verse 2, you know when I sit, you discern my thoughts. Verse 4, you know the word before I say it. Verse 14, my soul knows. Verse 23, know my heart. Verse 23, know my thoughts. And so it's David appealing to God being infinite and all-knowing and all-powerful to know his thoughts. But then notice the fundamental ending of the psalm. Basically, remove from me any grievous ways, basically any deviancy, anything that would pull me away from you. And then he says, lead me in the way of everlasting. So this is David, basically Psalm 23, appealing to the Lord being the good shepherd, leading him to the way of life. And so it's David affirming the reality and the goodness of verses 7 and 12, or 7 through 12, right? Where am I going to hide from you? Where can I go? Well, you know me, there's no place in this creation I can go. There's no place outside this creation I can go from, from your power. When, when the powers of darkness overwhelm me and I wonder if there's any hope, there you are in the midst of it. And so David's saying, Lord, let me celebrate who you are as a God who is infinite. Lead me in the way of life. Lead me in the place of glory. Keep me from the place of stumbling. Preserve me from being elitist and self-righteous. Lord, search my heart. Expose what is contrary to your will. May I turn from it, and may I turn unto you. And so for David, God being infinite, that is everywhere present at once, knowing all things, all-powerful, is not something where this is frightening or dreadful. And so where we begin in conclusion with that question, Why would we want a God who is everywhere present? Why would we want a God who knows everything? Because we want a God who when he says, I know the end of history. I know the battle is won. 
I know the resurrection of Christ is sufficient. I know that I am a shield and defender. I know that I can protect my people. If God is not infinite, and he comes with knowledge of some consciousness as he lives out the days in history, he's only confined to space and time, well, then we don't really have a God who's very dependable or sovereign. And that's what David wants to impress upon us. Our God knows all things. He peers right into us. He knows what makes us tick. He's wired us together. And so David's saying, don't hide from your God. Don't, don't be discouraged by the reality that he's infinite and be ashamed to come before him. Come before him in the assurance of Christ. And as you grow and you conform, don't, don't give in to some sort of an elitism or some sort of a self-righteousness and say, oh, look at what I've overcome. But say, praise be to God. Thank you for delivering me. Thank you for leading me. Thank you for bringing me through that dark time. Now, Lord, continue to work on me. Because obviously, as I'm still here in space and time, I haven't arrived at glory. I still have a long ways to go. I can still wander off the path. And so, Lord, in your infinite wisdom, lead me, guide me, convict me, search my heart so I know what is contrary to your will. May I put to death what needs to be put to death in the power of your spirit. And may I bring to life what needs to be brought to life. Because the assurance we have as there truly is no power, no principality, no trial, no tribulation, no authority, no demonic force that can pull us from the hand of our God or rip us away from his protection. This is why we want a God who is infinite. This is why David celebrates that God is infinite. And keep in mind, David himself has fallen into some heinous sins, and yet he is one who still celebrates reality, that God is infinite and continues to ask the Lord to search his heart. Let us not then be scared to come into the presence of our God or to be intimidated by his infinity, because he is a God who is glorious and majestic, a God who leads and shepherds, a God who cares, and a God who has overcome so we can triumph in him. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon. We hope and pray that our sermons encourage you as you sojourn on your Christian walk. If you have any questions about our church, please contact our pastor through our webpage, urcbelgrade.com. That is urcbelgrade.com. We also have many sermon series archived and available for download on our website, urcbelgrade.com. Most of all, we would love to see you join us in our Christian sojourn by being part of our church. Until we meet again, may the Lord's blessing and peace be upon you.